0: Hello and welcome to Season 2 of The Masked Cricketer. K-Dog and Woodsy are back interviewing all your favourite cricketing legends. And this one is a night to remember as they interview Sir Andrew Strauss. Andrew chats about the influence of Radley College on creating a fresh start for the England team ahead of the 2019 World Cup and whether or not he can remember Neil Megson and of course about his work for the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Today's episode and the live show are all about raising awareness and funds for the Lord Taverners charity. Judge Woodsy, bang the gavel. It's time to bring order to the court and get this show on the road.
1: So, young man, Mars Cricketer, are you guilty or not guilty of being Sir Andrew Strauss? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. thank god for that, that
3: was entirely unpleasant i gotta be honest but um thank god that's over with
2: that, that's we, were, we, were, we were padding it out a bit andrew we were padding it out a bit there were some quite early guesses to be fair so uh, uh,
1: what, what, what gave it away then i don't know what gave it away somebody said actually andrew that you would posted a photograph on instagram in the same polo shirt so i don't <laughs> know <Somebody laughs> did... well it wasn't very funny,
3: it did have my my bookshelf in the background so <laughs> someone is obviously stalking me
2: <laughs> we know what books you read <laughs> <laughs> i've haven't
3: I haven't read many say. of them actually but they look good on my, on my bookshelf
2: just like to say before we crack on uh, we've got a record number of concurrent viewers. I'd like to say a big hello to uh Henry Blofeld, who's watching us live and to uh thank you to Mark Butcher as well who's retweeted the group today. So that probably explains why we've got so many viewers.
1: Brilliant. Today.
3: Well, yeah, I'm feeling in very esteemed company.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I got to say one thing. Last time I saw you on a on a Zoom call, we had a an automatic mower behind you cutting your grass for you. But I don't see a librarian do it. Dude. No, but I, I do try and get, you know, basically,
3: can I make my life as easy as possible for myself? So lawnmower, vacuum cleaner, you know, the whole lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if, if only I could get someone to sort of do my podcast for me, life would be very easy. Get the kids to do the cooking, maybe. Uh, no, I haven't quite got to that stage yet, but, you know, I'm working on it. <laughs>
1: I mean, first first and foremost, uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us in your busy schedule. Really appreciate you being our no, absolute pleasure director uh, of the new series. Just for me, how's it been the last few months for you, Wolf? Well, look, I, I mean, I think we've
3: all been in the same boat, haven't we? So the start of lockdown, I think, was a really interesting time for me and for the boys. You know, I think uh, my reflection was, wow, I spent a lot of myself, a lot of my time rushing around doing stuff that, maybe I don't need to be doing and I quite enjoy just having a simple life for a while and um, you know, having a bit more time with the boys towards the back end. I think the novelty of that probably wore off for all of us (laughs) to one degree or another. And so it's nice. I mean, obviously we don't know where we're heading over the next few weeks, but it's been nice to be out and about and um, doing a bit more and obviously getting stuck into the cricket stuff as the domestic season and the international season got up and running so you know i think we've been lo- very lucky to see as as much cricket as we've had this summer and there's been some brilliant cricket there as well hasn't there um but also you know obviously without getting too sort of serious about it it's been a tough really tough summer for the sport you know lost over 110 million as a game uh, with probably further significant losses coming over the next 12 months as as well so that's not the sort
1: of thing that we can stomach very easily, and and there's some probably pretty tough times ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, wise words indeed. Uh, I mean, it's it's been tough. I, I mean, I managed to watch a little bit of the the final, the Bob Willis Trophy, the other day, and I, I, <laughs> to keep the left-handers union going. Alistair Cook's first innings was a real masterclass, I thought. So it was superb. Did did you think that trophy? Actually worked through this season. I have a feeling it probably did. It was quite competitive and ended up in a in a game that could have could have gone either way. I suppose. Yeah, I think the the things
3: look. I mean, obviously it was cobbled together at last minute, and it wasn't gonna. It was never going to be a full first class season by any means. But I think for the players who'd been firstly on furlough and then you know brought back in and sort of training, I, I think for them to have some competitive cricket and for them to get their teeth into something and for for it to feel like a, a really good, solid competition to play in was great. With no overseas players, I think that helped a little bit to blood a few youngsters along the way as well. But the interesting thing, obviously, is that, you know, Essex and Somerset, who were two of the best teams in the first division last year, you know, the fact that they were con- contesting the, the the trophy final so, sort of showed that it was a good competition, right? The best teams get got to the top and, uh, and the best team from the last two t- two years won the final. So, yeah, it was. I think it was a great competition. Great to have some cricket for those county followers to watch. And why on earth Alistair Cook's still playing the game? I have no idea, but he's obviously still finding a way to motivate himself. And, and obviously, you know, he's doing a great job for Essex as well. I I guess
2: there's so much time you can spend on the farm before you want to go and uh, wield a bat again, I I think. So uh, one one thing before we crack on with lots of questions, there's going to be loads of questions coming in from our live stream. Um, We we set this up in aid of the Lord's Taverners Cricket Charity, which obviously supports disability cricket. We've got um, one of our young disabled uh, cricketers watching tonight and his dad, Matthew, said he's really excited to see you on screen. So his name's George Hiley. So first of all, if you can say a big hello to George, I think he would be thrilled to bits. Uh, yeah,
3: absolutely. George, what a legend. You know, just get stuck into the game and enjoy it. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's been a, a tough season for you guys as well. Um, but we're all hoping that come the start of next season, we have a, a full cricket season. And, um, you know, we, we know that disabilities cricket is growing and growing and that's a fantastic
2: thing as well. Absolutely, and he, he's an inspiration, Andrew. We met him uh, for the first time last year at Wormsley, which is not a bad place to to meet anybody, really. It's no, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and uh, through through the mass cricketer, we've uh, we've met a few uh, other young lads. And uh, you might not be aware, but we we've uh, we met a young lad called Crew um, just a few weeks ago. We had a charity game, um, and he'd never played cricket. He was watching his uh, his cousin. Um, playing in this game, and uh, crew has cerebral palsy, and was told his mum and dad were told that he might never walk. Um, and he's been inspired into cricket, and we put a video in our channel of him taking up cricket, and it's just so refreshing to see. It's wonderful to see smiles on faces, and that's what cricket brings, isn't it?
3: It does, and you know, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a cliche, but I think what we're seeing more and more is that cricket really is a game for everyone, isn't it? And you know, more and more girls are playing. Um, you know, very, a number of different disability teams are playing as well. And um, as long as you keep the game simple, you know, ultimately, at its simplest form, it's hitting a piece of leather with a bit of wood, isn't it? And um, it's very hard for people not to enjoy that. Um, And and that's one thing we've always got to be conscious of, you know, no matter how, sort of, you know, complicated you make the game and how serious a supporter you are, whether you're watching international cricket or club cricket or county cricket, at its simplest form, cricket is just a fantastic way of a team of people coming together, going through highs and lows together as as a group. And um and the great thing about the game of cricket for me is it's a game that keeps you incredibly grounded, doesn't it? Um, you know, there are far more days of failure than there are of success. And and so the, the people that play a lot of cricket tend to be really good people generally. There's one or two exceptions, but generally they're pretty good people.
2: I, I certainly know all about failure as a, as a cricketer. <laughs> yeah. Darrell less so, but yeah, me certainly. Um, I, I, I know a lot about failure and not too much about success. But uh, So we've got some questions coming in, which we'll, we'll get to later. But I know that we, we wanted to sort of go through um, just sort of talking a bit about your your sort of career and your, and your formative years. Um, Darrell uh, particularly, I think, you know, talking about your links to Oxfordshire and uh, obviously Radley College and uh, and and what it was like growing up. Yeah,
3: exactly. I mean, look, my, my route to the professional game was was not via any sort of professional pathway or anything like that. You know, I, I was playing uh, playing for my school at Radley and, and doing pretty well there. Uh, but, I, you know, I wasn't one of these people that was playing much club cricket in the holidays. And it was uh, my coach, Andy Wagner, who, you know, many people will have... Either know or have heard about, you know. He, he sort of cajoled me into trying to make a go of it professionally, and he got me some trials. That um, well, first of all, he got me involved in the Oxford sh- setup. So, yeah, Oxford under 19. I played for that for for three years. Um, I think I'm right in saying my my first game for Oxford under 19, I got a first ball duck. My second mm-hmm. game, I think I got a fifth ball duck, and then after that, I thankfully I'm pretty. I mean, he couldn't get any worse than that, but I did improve. And then, you know, became very much part of that under-19 setup up for three years. Uh, played a few games for Oxfordshire in the senior team as well. Um, but by then, I was at university and, and I got some trials with Middlesex and, um, you know, scored some runs. And and from there, it was very much sort of thrust into that professional cricket world very early. And actually, you know, I wasn't quite ready for it at the time. But I was very great, hugely grateful for, for WAGs for pushing me and giving me those opportunities and, you know, thankfully I was able to take them.
1: I was going to c- come in there, Andrew, just um, obviously from your, your club perspective, you, you said you didn't play much club cricket, but I know you played at, at Press Steel. Um, any characters there that you, you remember or anybody you thought might have gone on and played the game more professionally?
3: Um. God, now you're oh, stretching me now. Um a
2: leading question. We know who you're trying to think of.
3: <laughs> I'm not, i
2: uh, was
1: uh, St- Stuart Lordat might have been
3: yeah he was involved um who else was there god um I'm trying to th- I'm literally I- I've had a bit of a mind blank there um I, I you know I do remember the the cricket being very competitive I remember a um who a Neil Radford was around he wasn't you know he wasn't playing for us but I remember playing against him and that was a real kind of introduction and experience and he's quite frankly he sledged the shit out of me for, for <laughs> a couple of hours um I do that to everybody actually. yeah yeah exactly um and you know i think that was a couple of years in my life where i, I was sort of I, I suppose i was contemplating playing professional cricket but i was sort of just sort of existing in that time and um and obviously pushing towards maybe playing for the Oxfordshire team so you know I think my my career and my life sort of took quite a, a sharp right turn firstly when I went up to Durham University when I was obviously playing up there and then uh, when I became part of the middle set setup. up so um, you know really it, it, lovely time in my life because it's that coming of age time 17 18 um, you know got got my own car and and, and feeling independent for the first time and And then actually for the first time, spending time and company with adult cricketers, which obviously is an education in itself. So, um, yeah, I love that time in my life. And uh, actually, you know, sometimes I I miss those times where I could just play the game of cricket for fun rather than see it as a career, which, you know, is obviously a very different thing once you start playing professionally. Yeah, sorry for the
1: leading question. Uh, I wondered if you, you, you remembered a very loud wicker keeper that's probably watching, but he'll uh, remain nameless, I think. It's probably best. Oh, he'll, Here.
2: Be he'll be gutted if you leave him nameless. I'm going no, to name him. Be... Leave
1: him nameless. That, do, that, that, do that. You...
2: No, we can't do that. Do you remember Neil Megson? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's not the the only loud cricketer in the world, but uh, or, or wicketkeeper. But um, yeah, yeah. That it was a good education for me actually, and um, and there were some very good players around as well.
2: <laughs> Daryl, we've got loads of questions coming in, as I as I thought we would do this evening. So um, we'll, we'll ask a few of these first and then we'll sort of go, go back to, to, to Andrew's career. First of all, we're really honoured to have uh, Harry Mack, Harry the Bunbury's joined us tonight. Yeah. I think he's already mentioned Radley being one of the best Bunbury festivals. Uh, uh, world-class pitches at Radley. I mean, Daryl and I have got some experience about coaching the uh, the under-18s. It was a fantastic setup at, at Radley, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. And you know, of course, when you're at one of those schools, you never quite appreciate it because you just think that's normal, don't you? But, uh, you know, there were great pitches to play on. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I, I didn't learn how to play spin until I left Radley because it never spun at all while I was there. So that was that was <laughs> something that was missing in my armoury when I left Radley. But um, yeah, not, not just great pitches, but obviously great coaching. And great commitment to the game. So, you know, over the winter, indoor nets with WAGs and um, some really good other cricketers that came out of Radley at that time. So, you know, Robin Martin Jenkins, Ben Hutton, Jamie Dalrymple, you know, some really top quality cricketers as well. And we all sort of spurred each other on.
2: I mean, we're, we're very fortunate that we we get to play at Radley a couple of times a year normally. And, uh, and all the players that come through the Oxford ranks, they they, they go into that pavilion and they see all the... All the team pictures, and they they see the images of yourself. I think captain in Radley for a few years. That that in itself inspires people. Do you still keep in touch with, with Wags? Obviously, he was a a key a key sort of role in your early career. Do you, do you still keep in touch with him? And uh, and how important was he to you? In your yeah, very
3: much. So. I mean, yeah, I, I try and go back to Radley once a year if I can, just to do a you know a, a, a bit of a coaching session on a Sunday morning. Uh, Wags and I are still very close, and and obviously he's still very involved. Not just with with Radley, but with Middlesex as well. So, um, uh, you know, he, he he's still looking for the next generation of of professional cricketers either at Radley um, or as part of the the Middlesex setup. Um, just a, a great guy, a great lead. You know, I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because Wags taught me a lot about cricket, um, but what he also did is he just instilled a love of the game in me. And um, you know, maybe a, a coaching in that age group. It's about that as much as anything. It's interesting watching my son, who's who's gone through some of the age groups setups at, um, at Berkshire. You know, it's very serious these days, very young. And, um, you know, we've got to balance that. I can understand what that is, And, you know, to, you know, it, it's you have to do the right things and you've got to get yourself in the right habits and get the right technique. But you've also got to really make sure you enjoy the game and savor those moments. You know, the, those great moments when you do well and you get 100 or you win a match nine wickets down or whatever. You know, that that is the game of cricket, and that's why no other game can compete with it.
1: I've, I've come done. in here, Andrew, if I may, because I, I know you've, you've had the influence there of WAGs. When you went to Middlesex, was there any... We'd heard from Mike Gatting saying there was one or two people there that inspired him. Was there anybody in particular there at Middlesex that helped your game push on or, or was just, you know, a really good guy to have in the changing room? Well, look, I think for
3: me, someone who you never really seen himself going on to play professional cricket, it was incredible to be in that Middlesex setup at that time. So, you know, that was the back end of the great Middlesex era, and we had Angus Fraser and Phil Tufnell and uh, and Mike Gatting himself, Mark Ramprakash, uh, Justin Langer. I-, I was just like a sponge. I was like, you know, I, I want to see what makes these guys tick, what is different about them to me? You know, what can I learn off them every time I'm in the net or watching them bat or, you know, if I'm lucky enough to play with them? And so in the early days, I think Gat was great. He sort of he took me under his wing a bit, as did Don Bennett, who, you know, many people will know is just a legendary Middlesex coach. Uh, he saw something in me. Uh, but the real and you know, Angus Fraser is one of my great mates. You know, um, Mark Ramprakash just such a brilliant batsman. But, but the guy that really was fundamentally important to my career development was Justin Langer. So, you know, he was a obviously a left handed opening batsman, a nuggety player. You know, not 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 the most sort of talented, but made the most of everything. he he had, uh, you know, very driven and, and committed and did his fitness and just, you know, just just a great guy to spend time with. Um, and, you know, I think in those days, it's m- maybe less the case now, but in those days, if you wanted to play international cricket, you had to almost separate yourself from the rest of the, the county game. You know, the county game was not soft, but I think they were, it was pretty comfortable. And so Justin Langer pushed me and he would – you know he'd encourage me on days off to come in and and do some nets with him and do some bowling machine work and just just really sort of smooth over my rough edges and um without him I'd I definitely wouldn't have made it
1: i've probably alluded to this before but the the series um the australian series on on netflix about the Australians and Justin Langer, he came across as as somebody very passionate, didn't he? And understanding the game and understanding his players really well. So it, that for me is a is a must watch for a, for a lot of youngsters going about their their trading cricket. I think it was excellent. Did you manage to get a glimpse of that? Or yeah,
3: I did. I, yeah, I watched it, and you know it was great to see. Uh, well, I think we all enjoyed seeing behind the scenes of that Australian team. And um, you know, one thing about JL was. You know he's he, he's a very principled guy, right? And he um, he's incredibly proud about Australian cricket. And um, you know, for him, it, it, it is of course he's you know incredibly competitive and desperate for Australia to win. But it's about doing it the right way as well. And um, so he he was the right coach at the right time for Australian cricket. You know, he, he's got a bit of a temper on him, and he he's pretty intense. And, and so at times at Middlesex, a lot of the players found that hard. Um, you know i remember him coming (laughs) coming in one day after getting a low score at lords and we all had our like the 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 lord's teas like it's legendary you know you've got all these sandwiches and cakes and stuff like that and he picked up the the big tray of cakes and went you guys don't deserve any cakes and he just got it and chucked it all against the wall and it was just dripping (laughs) off the sides of the wall and his helmet went flying over the room and, and whatever but um you know, just that commitment to his job. You know, and he was desperate to be as good as he possibly could be at his job, and he was desperate for Middlesex to
2: do well uh, alongside that as well. I'm just imagining what he, what, what Mike Gatting might have thought if he'd been in the dressing room when uh, Justin threw the cakes so along. We've had Gatting on in the last series and he he said that. It's not a myth. He does like his cakes and his donuts. He said so live on our show. So he wouldn't have been happy with that, would
3: he? No, well, I mean, Gat would have been licking them off the walls. That's what he would have been <laughs> doing, definitely. Yeah, but, you know, Gat, in, in his own way, was, you know, a phenomenal player and, and a great example, as, as we all know, is to, you know, phenomenal batsmen. So, you know, I think we had a lot of different characters at Middlesex. It was a pretty tough environment, like, you know, very, quite a brutal, honest, quite hierarchical. Uh, dressing room um and so uh, and one that didn't suffer fools gladly um so i think for myself and a couple of the other young cricketers it was a tough introduction but it, it was one that toughened us up very quickly and, and obviously if you want to go and play international cricket you need that as well
2: i was just thinking of um mike uh, mike gatting and we talked uh, as he was fully expecting about the uh... The ball that Shane Warne bowled him—I think the first ball in Test cricket that he bowled at him, which was the ball that said, "For you, of course." Had a, had a, a very similar, probably even sharper spinning ball in the Ashes series uh, in two thousand and five, didn't you? It just—it was, uh, you know, unbelievable. And I guess Shane Warne would probably have been one of the the toughest competitors you you ever came up against.
3: Yeah, I mean, he was just a nightmare to face, you know, and. Uh there are so many things about Shane Warren, you know, obviously he was a brilliant bowler and he had so much uh, subtle variety and he could turn the ball so much, but as we all know, it was the character, wasn't it? You know, he was the conductor on the pitch. He was running the show. uh, As the ball was coming down at you, you knew that was, that wasn't just a ball coming down at you. That was delivered by a guy that had taken 600 or 700 test wickets. And, had made everyone look like complete idiots along the way. And and so you've got all that going on in your mind um, as well. And, uh, you know, everyone talks about his sledging and whatever, but he was quite clever about his sledging. He wasn't, like, just abusing you. And I I remember that first Test match uh, in the 2005 Ashes, like my first ever Test match against this great Australian team and the first time I'd ever faced Shane Warne. Uh, And you guys may remember we bowled Australia out Pretty cheaply, like for 180 odd or something. And Marcus and I went out to bat, got through till tea. And as I came out after tea, walking down, you know, through the long room and out there, Shane Warren just sort of sidled up to me and went, "You right, Daryl? You right, mate?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, fine, thanks, mate." And just walked on. And then every over, came on, Daryl, you going all right? You, you seeing all right today, mate? And I was like, just like, why are you calling me Daryl? And then it sort of sl- suddenly dawned on me. He's calling me Daryl after Daryl Cullinan, who, as we all know, was a guy who never got more than 10 runs against Shane Warne. And what, what he was implying was that I was going to be his bunny in the 2005 Ashes series. And having faced, you know, I then faced a couple of overs of his bowling, and I was thinking to myself, I am going to be Shane Warne's bunny in this series because I have not got a clue how to play this guy. You know, I I knew how to play leg spin, but he just, his angles, the way he bowled, I just couldn't Oh, we have a little freeze.
1: A little freeze there. Let's hope he uh, comes back. Um, while well, while that's frozen, I, I will just mention the reason we are obviously here again tonight is to make any donations you possibly can, no matter how small, to our Just Giving page and search the Mask Cricketer. Um, obviously, we're in a situation where we're up to about 2650 now uh, which has been a fantastic effort and achievement and obviously we're now uh, 1100 on our facebook group so which means i haven't quite looked into um, when i can actually jump out of a plane but i will do that in the next week or two to see when that can be possibly done so watch this space we will uh, do that if if we possibly can and, and and record it uh, and try and get it on here. We're trying to get the mass cricketer back. I, I think we, we we're doing that now. So welcome back, Andrew. Welcome. <laughs> Thank back. you. So uh, you we, know we we, love <laughs> we we we've filled a gap. We filled a gap. We mentioned uh, just giving page. So uh, it,
2: just, it just shows that we throw this together, doesn't it? We, exactly.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah, we find a way through. We, but um, we, we're
2: very proudly amateur, Andrew. We're very proudly right. amateur.
3: That's all good. I like that. Um, but yeah, so you know, Shane Warne was just a, a brilliant guy to to be able to play against, and um, I, I think my greatest challenge challenges in international cricket, and and the few times that I was able to score runs against him, you know, that that makes you feel very satisfied because you know you've you've done against the, the literally the best of all
1: time. I, I was gonna. I just mentioned that somebody mentioned it wasn't Daryl after Daryl Woods because he he would have bored the pants off a Shane <laughs> uh and blocked it for Britain, but uh, probably without Definitely. without success. I'm suggesting, but uh, uh, great great story. The 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 one thing. Uh, I was going to ask, but I know there's been loads and loads of questions, and I'm going to I'm going to pass over to Kieran in a moment with um, the the viewers' um, questions. There'll be quite a few, Andrew. Um, but um, for me, is is two things really. One is is the highlight of your international career. If you can name one, that I know there's several, but if there's if you can name one, that'll be brilliant. And also, just just from me, I think when you took over as director of cricket of ECB I think things changed for the better and have you been pleased since you left that they've continued with a little bit of your legacy that you started back in 2015 yeah a
3: uh, couple of uh, good questions so I think for, for me the highlight you know and, and you're right I mean I was very lucky to, to be a part of a lot of English cricket's great moments but um I think holding that urn up in Sydney in the 2010-11 Ashes series, I mean, it's so hard to go and win in Australia. And and for that series, I mean, we were phenomenal, you know, winning three test matches by an innings and, um, you know, really just dominating that Australian team. I, I think as captain to hold up that urn was extraordinary. I mean, obviously 2005 and whatever was brilliant as well. And then as, as far as director cricket, look, I, I think I, I came in there very much with a, a single focus to win the 2019 world cup. I was just so irritated and frustrated in 2015 to see us repeating the mistakes that we made back in my time. You know, I I played in two world cups, 2011 and 2007. And, you know, in truth, probably I I shouldn't have been part of that team. And I I just, I'd seen us play like literally a different game to everyone else. You know, we were, we were hesitant. We were, you know, trying to hit ones and twos when everyone was trying to hit boundaries. So, I just felt like we had a real opportunity for a fresh start, and um, and obviously the 2019 World Cup being in in England, you know, a great a great chance for us to to move things forward, and and obviously to see that plan kind of go through, and and, and for the guys to play as well as they did in the 2019 World Cup was was just brilliant. Um, I, I think we've got a lot of talent in this country. I, I think we're pretty well set up to be a top three team in the world. I think we're probably getting a bit complacent about our our success. You know, I, I think um, everyone kind of is taking for granted a little bit now. And, and we need to sort of double down and, and increase our efforts because for us to beat the likes of Australia and India on a consistent basis is never going to be easy for us.
2: Uh, Andrew, just um, regarding the World Cup and also just um, over the last few years under Owen Morgan, a a lot of people say that as a one day captain, he's one of one of the best one day captains that England have had. I mean, some of the some of the tactical uh, stuff that he does is is it's just amazing, isn't it? And he he was really instrumental, actually, um, in in that successful spell that brought the World Cup last year.
3: Yeah, he was. And, you know, I think one of the things I remember when I sat down with, with him and it was Paul Farbrace right at the start of the journey. And, I, you know, I, my message to them was, listen, you know, one thing we have to learn is what we've done in the past. Just We just can't repeat that. So we've got to go down a different path. And the, the first thing we need to do is try and see why, where our ceiling is. Like, let's just go out and try and Play this game in a completely different way, and so who says 300 is a big, a good score? Why why can't we score more than that? And um, you know that I think that was like music to the ears of Owen Morgan, and he took it on, and and obviously we we selected a slightly different team, and you know over the four years he never diverted from that sort of attitude, and and he embodied it. He played that way himself. He was able to take risks. He demanded people to play for the team, not worry about their own scores, just keep pushing. Even when the coaches sometimes were like, you yeah, know, guys, look, we're, we're overplaying this. We're, we're going too far down that route. And um, he was absolutely, had that single-minded focus on this is the only way to win the World Cup. The only way to win the World Cup is by putting pressure on the opposition and therefore taking pressure off ourselves. And... Um, you know, he was brilliant. He was just a phenomenal, very strong individual. That the the players loved him, they respected him. And as you say, when in those really tight moments on the pitch, he was more than happy and willing to to make those big decisions himself, including obviously in the World Cup final.
2: And and as you say, it, the, the the way they went about their cricket, it was just uh, you know, even even in defeat, which was quite rare. Even in defeat, you were you were guaranteed absolute entertainment, weren't you?
3: Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that came out of my England career. You know, we we were lucky and we got to number one in the world and, um, you know, and had a lot of successful times. But I I think one of the things, one of my reflections when I finished was it's about winning. Of course, it's about winning and and doing as well as you can. But it's also how you win and how you play and how you engage with people. You know, if, if you wanted to be remembered as a great cricketer or as a great team it's about it's about playing entertaining cricket. It's about taking the, the game to the opposition. And it's also about engaging with the, the, the crowds, the fans, the media um, and being approachable. And I, and I think the, the, the team that Morgues did, did all of those things. And that's why it will go down as one of, if not England's greatest ever uh, white ball team.
2: Fantastic. And I, I remember seeing just videos, even just locally, of, of, of the, the the way that it inspired kids. You know, we, we had lots of um, county age group cricket going on at that time. And there were videos from all over the country with, with, with kids watching that that final and uh, that Super Over and uh, just the inspiration that that, that gave for everybody. That, that can only be good for cricket. And I guess that the lockdown this year has kind of been a bit of a setback. But the ECB have done fantastically to get as much cricket on as they have this year for us.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, that literally—that's the first time I've ever heard the ECB praise for anything. But I, I totally agree with you. You know, I think they've—they have done an incredible job. And um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it is a shame that we weren't able to build on the 2019 World Cup this year, and, and hopefully, we're able to do that next year. But um, you know, just to have the games being played this year and, and to have recreational cricket back on and. Yeah, I just hope that we're able to have a, a full uninterrupted season next year. And um, yeah, I mean, it, potentially it's a really big season um, with India coming over and whatever. So uh, fingers crossed, you know, I think um, that, you know, th- there's a lot to be optimistic about with the game in this country. And and for me personally, and I know this isn't everyone's sort of favourite thing, but I think the start of the 100 competition is, is a huge step forward for the game in this country and is going to make a massive difference over the years um so uh, the sooner we get that up and running the better um and uh and you know but, but we've also got challenges and, and the the immediate challenge is the financial one that we need to overcome
2: yeah absolutely i mean I, I made no secret i was very much on the fence with that but i guess it's something particularly after this year that it, it needs to be tried i guess because at the end of the day it's all about um the survival of cricket isn't it Andrew, I'm going to go through if we can. um, We've we've had, as as expected, um, loads and loads of questions. I'll try and get through as many as we can. I don't want to keep you on here all night for obvious reasons. You've got uh, kids to sleep, put to bed, and such like. Um, First of all, just a big thank you to everybody that's uh, sticking with us. We've had a few little freeze problems, um, but not too bad. I think Judge Woods keeps sort of catching us up. He's buffering and then catching us up. But uh, he looks like a
3: bit behind the pace. Generally, is that
2: right? Yeah, well, that's, that's generally how his innings are normally yeah, as I'm well. Sure. Actually. He is very often behind the page. So we've got loads of questions. I said, I'll try and get through as many as we can. One of, one of our number one fans who, who, who's who been watching from, from episode one right back in March, Matthew Lee. It's a, it's a simple question, but it's one that might be a tough answer. Your, your best innings for England that you can remember? Your personal best innings?
3: uh well uh, i don't know two that stand out you know in terms of like individual pride you know i think the the 100 i scored in the first innings of the 2005 ashes at uh match at the oval you know such a huge game and like so much pressure on us to obviously not to lose that game and to to, to go out and 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 take home the series uh you know for me to get 100 and it wasn't an easy 100 like i think you know we were losing wickets at other end i think that that was a one that I was really proud of and then for for me personally the, the 100 I scored in Napier where effectively my you know my place in the team was if I didn't get a 100 in that innings I would have been dropped so you know that's where you're digging as deep as you possibly can dig and you know deep, deep down asking yourself the question do I really want this and and you know finding a way through I, I think that was a sort of personal battle with myself more than it was with the opposition and I was I was able to come through that.
2: Um, question from Paul. Now, obviously, you're, you 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 know cricket, English cricket, probably as well as anybody in the country. Um, of the of the of the young crop of English cricketers coming up, who do you think um, is sort of best place? This is a tough question, actually. Who do you think is best place to really push on to become our next truly world class player, as if we haven't got many already? Um. Well, you know, I always, I always a bit reticent to sort
3: of lump expectation on young players. But I do think, you know, from everything I've seen of Ollie Pope, I think he, he's going to be an absolute superstar. Um, you know, I, I know he's injured again now, but he, He's got great technique. He's got great temperament. Uh, He he seems like he's good against both seam and spin. Uh, You know, his first-class averages suggest he he can do it in all conditions against all sorts of players. So, you know, I think he's one definitely to look out for. Obviously, you know, Zach Crawley's had a a phenomenal step forward this summer, but I think he's still got some work to do technically. Um, uh, And then you know on the on the bowling front i'm not 100% sure you know a, a lot of people talk a lot about ollie stone how, how much talent he's got ollie robinson i, I think they, there's a lot of people that say he's he's going to be high quality um and verdi from from sorry you know a lot of people said he's got ability but you know we we've struggled to produce world class spinners over the years and and obviously if we can find one that's going to be a massive step forward for us
2: with regards to spinners, do, I mean, do you still think, I mean, I don't I don't like putting anybody on the spot over certain players. Do you, do you still think that um, Adil Rashid's got a, a future in test cricket? He's obviously fantastic in the in the shorter form of the game. Uh, I know he had a, a spell where he didn't play so much Red Bull cricket, but he is, he is an exceptional talent, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I, I think
3: he is. Although I, one thing I would say is like, you know, it's a bit like Jason Roy coming into the test team on the back of great one day form. I mean, increasingly they're completely different games, aren't they? And for a leg spinner to have sweepers out on the boundary and whatever. Um, I mean, Adil is a very high quality bowler. Um, I don't personally think he can play as our only spinner. I, I think he can play as a second spinner, um, you know, probably in subcontinental conditions or if, if you play at Sydney or something like that. Um, So, uh, But uh, deep down, does he really want to do that? Does he really want to slog his way around bowling overs and overs and overs in four-day cricket for for Yorkshire? I mean, he hasn't really done that for the last couple of years. So I I think when push comes to shove, we may see him play a couple more test matches when when we're in the subcontinent. But I think we've probably got to look elsewhere, actually.
2: Right. So, Andrew, I'm I'm hesitant on this one, but I'm going to ask it. um, What was it like uh, as captain to, to captain... Uh, such mavericks as uh, Andrew Flintoff um, and uh, and Mr. Peterson?
3: <laughs> uh, well, I knew that question was coming at some point. Uh, so, well, I, I think a few things to say. I mean, with both of them, you know, they both had that X factor, right? So in big matches, in big moments, you kind of expected and you knew that they would stand up and that would be their stage to. Deliver what they were capable of doing. So, you know, they were absolutely priceless in our team. And um, you know, any anyone who said who would you know hint that I didn't think either KP or Fred were brilliant cricketers are way off the case. You know that they, they were both phenomenal in their own way. Uh, Fred as a a talisman for for the team, but also to get the crowd in the game. And as a bowler in particular, you know, I, I just don't know a single international player that enjoyed facing Fred at his best he was phenomenal um by the time I was captaining him he had a number of injury issues that he was contending with and he was sort of in and out and whatever and um so you know I I was unfortunate I didn't get to to captain Fred at his best which I would have loved to have done (coughs) Um, excuse me as far as KP is concerned I mean you know as I said he was just phenomenally brilliant and he could take the game away from it and, and and again almost the better the bowler the more he would he would go at them i think where, where kp was difficult and i'm not telling anyone that anything they don't know here was that he was you know he was following his own agenda you know kp was his own person and uh he liked to almost separate himself from the team and and that was all fine as long as his agenda sort of vaguely met the team's agenda when it didn't. And when there was a real issue was when his agenda was almost detrimental to the team and and vice versa. And, and that's where the problems occurred. And, um, you know, I look back now and go, God, I I wish that hadn't occurred. I still haven't in my mind figured out what we really could have done differently to avoid that happening. It was just a set of circumstances. It was about the IPL and and KP sort of moving on from English cricket. And, um, you know, that I just think that happened and it was unfortunate and obviously I think we all would have wished it didn't happen, but it did.
1: I just wanted, to, obviously we're doing this for the Lords Taverners, Andrew, but you've obviously got the Ruth Strouth Foundation that um, has been set up. And Can you just give us a, a, an idea of how things have gone with that and, and what's on the horizon for, for that foundation?
3: Yeah, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, I mean, uh, you know, everyone listening to this will know my personal story. My, my wife, Ruth, passed away from uh, a, a rare form of non-smoking lung cancer in uh, des- December 2018. Obviously, you know, incredibly shocking for for the family. Um, and, you know, I think pretty soon after that, I, I sort of sat down and kind of you know i suppose felt like how, how do i make something positive come out of this situation and how can i keep Ruth's spirit alive and how can i do something that she would be proud of and um and so we launched the foundation with two aims one to fund both awareness and research into non-smoking lung cancers which is you know unfortunately it's growing and that you know that although it's only 10 to 15 percent of all lung cancers it, it's in the top 10 of 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 All cancers in the country, so it's something we should be taking a lot of care of and paying attention to, and it's it's massively underfunded. And then, secondly, to provide support for families when they're they're contending with the the hardest thing that they can possibly do, which is the the death of a parent through cancer. So, you know, we were very lucky as a family to have great support, professional help, and and we want to make sure that people going through that have that sort of professional help uh, as well. So. You know, those were two things that Ruth wanted us to do with the foundation. Um, we got off to a great, you know, incredible start. We were so lucky to have that game at Lord's during the Ashes last year. And, you know, somewhat surprisingly, the, the Red for Ruth Day at Old Trafford this year raised, you know, the best part of £900,000, which is just staggering, you know, and something we didn't expect. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do great things with that charity. We're very proud of what we've done so far. And, and hopefully, we're just still at the at the start of the journey. We've got a long way to go as well.
2: Uh, Andrew, just um, from a personal perspective, um, f- for me, it's a charity that I've donated to, and the reason being, it's really close uh, to my heart. Not too many people will know, but uh, I was actually uh, a fifteen-year-old um, kid when my mum died very suddenly. Uh- um, yeah. and there was there was no support for me. I, I kind of stayed strong to support my dad because he was obviously sort of devastated and shocked. and uh, I had a kind of delayed reaction really. I was, it was almost like my my sort of mental self uh, sort of shielded me from from what had happened um, to sort of look after and protect my dad. Uh, yeah. and then it hit me later uh, and I think had we had that sort of support mechanism uh back in the in, in that time it was 28 years ago it's still very raw to me even to this day but uh, as a child losing a losing a parent it, it's it's something that that a child shouldn't have to go through at that age isn't it and, and to have that support network in place and, and the support that you're doing with with, with your foundation it, it's going to be so important for youngsters isn't it
3: yeah yeah I mean you're so right and look uh, I mean, it's an awful thing for any child to go through and, um, you know, whatever support you have, it's still going to be awful. But, um, you know, I think I've heard so many stories of people that have, you know, gone through it and as, as kids, it's kind of like, Oh, it's done now. We're never going to speak of it again. And it's stiff upper lip and just carry on. And, you know, we, one thing we know for a fact is that's not a particularly helpful way to do it. And so, you know, for us to have the support, uh, pre-Ruth dying so you know us meeting with Jenny our counselor talking through all our hopes you know all our fears about what's going to happen really having a good conversation about how best to support the kids through this and um and then I still check in with Jenny once a month so you know the kids aren't working directly with her but I'm kind of working with them or she's working with them through me and um you know they're they're doing great but they'll still have their bad moments and um and it's important that I'm, I'm comfortable with that, and that in some ways I encourage it. You know, what one thing we can't do is just sort of bury it deep down and pretend it's not there, because that's when it comes out
1: sideways down the track. Fantastic, Andrew, it really is, and and to raise that, as somebody has mentioned, you know, after lockdown is a massive achievement, and uh, um, you know, f- fair play to you, and I hope it continues to to do that a- along the the future. So right. um, that, that's brilliant. I know there's been some more questions coming in. Kieran's probably been keeping a close eye on that. So a bit of rapid fire to finish. I think uh, Kieran, over to you.
2: Yeah, we've had uh, an unbelievable amount of questions, Andrew. It's not possible to get to all of them. To be honest, we're going gonna, we're gonna to lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, so somebody's mentioned uh, a funny moment that um, that happened during one of your matches, which was when you uh, you launched the ball back back towards the wicketkeeper and. Uh, uh, and managed to break your own sunglasses. Is that one of the funniest moments that ever happened on a field, or was there anything else that stands out that you can remember? Um, well, I think that
3: you know that was a you know it was the the rest of my teammates found it hilarious. I, I didn't particularly because it was it was a bit humiliating for me, and I, I don't think my sunglass manufacturer particularly enjoyed it. My my sponsors weren't all that keen on seeing that happen. Funny moments. Aren't, I mean, you know, there's, there are so many and, um, you know, there's, there's so many, I, I'm not going to go into it, but you know, just some great moments playing with Shane Warne, you know, I just, every time we played with him, it was like, a, it was literally like a performance. It was like being at the Royal Opera House or whatever. And, um, you know, that that was a great thing. But I'm not going to go into it now because I know this is rapid rapid question time.
2: Yeah, yeah just, an, just another couple to finish. Um, so a, a quick one from Matthew Bowden. So Oxford Downs hosted our uh, charity match. He just wants to know if you remember playing a match at Oxford Downs once. And, yeah, uh, I do, actually.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, all those sort of making my way around the, 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 the Oxfordshire circuit and uh, and playing in those different, different grounds. I, I'm... I'm pretty sure we lost there, but I might be right, might be wrong, and, and I'm pretty sure I didn't get many runs because I I never really did get any runs for for uh, press steel. so um, yeah, so n- not my greatest memories of that ground.
2: Paul Fowler said, uh, "Tell Sir Andrew to tell his children to stop maxing out the Wi-Fi." <laughs> so. I'm and afraid then- that
3: is happening. My my son is upstairs.
2: Uh, playing Fortnite, and I apologize for that. I think it might be, I think it might be Daryl's tech, to be honest. I don't think you were, Andrew, but were you still playing and in the slip And when uh, when the chef caught one in the nether regions and Joe Root thought it was a Harris? I think you'd finished by then, haven't you?
3: I, I think I was out of the game by that stage, yeah. Um, yeah, Cookie sort of you know, like he just nipped into my spot, didn't he? First slip, and and then you know, I, I finished with. You know, seven thousand runs and twenty one hundred, and pretty happy with my performance. And then Cookie's just gone and blown that completely out the out the the window. So, you know, whenever I see Cookie, uh, I'm reminded that he's basically a pain in the arse. He makes me look exceptionally poor. I I think I had the most catches for England, and now he's overtaking he me in
2: that as well. So yeah, you yeah, did. I mean, he, he, yeah. took, he took, he he's he played sixty-one more games, so he was. That's that, you know, that that's your. Little, I think average catches per match. You're you're probably still ah, very mind.
3: good. Yeah, if I have to get to that level of stat, then that, there's something quite sad about that, really, isn't there?
2: I, I, I was nicknamed Stato when I was young. Just, <laughs> just a couple of very very quick ones to finish. Then, um, so the best batter that you that you've been uh, up against. Uh, I know you're not a bowler, but who's who's the best batsman that you've seen in your in your career?
3: Oh, you know, Who am I going to say here? Look, I, I think Sachin was just a complete player, and he was just brilliant. Him and Callis were the guys. In fact, the one who's who's most sort of underrated is Sangakara. Who's you know, if I had to clone a left-handed bat to to try and emulate, it would be him. Um, so all three of those are brilliant. But I just love playing against uh, Brian Lara. I mean. You know, as as a kid growing up in the, the sort of early to mid '90s, he was just a genius, wasn't he? And um, and he he had that bit of extra. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a technical genius. He was just just he he lived on a different planet at times, and um, it was just a real pleasure to share the same cricket p- pitch as him and and see him in action.
2: Just a couple of final sort of things from from me and from Daryl. Well. We still sort of look at you as uh, a as an Oxfordshire sort of person. We're very proud of you, and obviously, you may remember this. You probably probably don't remember it um, that you actually met us. You met the Oxfordshire under nineteens uh, at the Wacker back in twenty ten. It was the, it was the only game of the series that you ended up losing. And I think uh, you, do you want to blame us for that one.
3: Well, I've got to blame someone, It might as well be you, as either you or Mitchell Johnson. So I'll I'll take you over Mitchell. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you know, look. I mean, as you guys would have seen, it's just such a great place to go and watch Ashes cricket, and and you know, the, the wackin' more than anything gives you the 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 real understanding of why it's so hard to win out there. You know, that quick bouncy pitch, obviously, that you know, it, it's very foreign for us, and um, and that's why I'm so proud of what we did out there on that tour. It's just incredible with an incredible incredible group of people that I I'm so close to and. Remain close to for the for the rest of my days.
2: But yeah, I mean, we were actually um, in the middle of a, a, a match uh, in Perth uh, when we came to see uh, that game. So uh, it was a very, very, very hot day. I remember I've yeah. never been hot. Perth, probably one of the hottest places on earth, to be honest. So uh, yeah. Uh, a belated thank you for giving up your time that day as well, because it was right in the middle of a of a crunch Ashes series. So uh, thank you again for that. We were all very grateful, and there's there's pictures doing the rounds all, all around the Oxfordshire of uh, of our boys meeting up with you and you giving up your time. Um, just uh, very very finally, uh, <laughs> advice for young up and coming cricketers. We've got one up-and-coming cricketer that we're all very proud of in Oxfordshire, James Coles, who uh, yep. at the age of 16 has just made his debut for Sussex.
3: Yeah, wow. What a, what a great start. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, I, you know, I, I there are all sorts of sort of cliches that you could say. For me, if I'm looking at a young cricketer as to whether he might make it, I'm not looking at, you know, his technique or or anything. You know, the one thing I'm looking for is how quickly does he learn? So does he learn from his mistakes? Um, and does he gain experience every time he goes out to play? You know, I think uh, Shane Warren said that thing about Monty Palisar. He hasn't played 47 test matches. He's played one test match 47 times. And and I think there's a grain of truth in that. You know, the best players are always learning and evolving and, and, and becoming a better version of themselves. So, you know, uh, I would just, my, my advice to young cricketers is, is Watch the other people you're playing with, you know, the the more experienced people in your team, ask questions of them, uh, see what they do in different circumstances, look at the opposition, learn from them as well, because, you know, you're not going to be a complete player, then there are always going to be people that do certain elements of the game better than you, and if you can learn off them, then you become a a better player as a
2: result. Brilliant. Andrew, I'm going to um, end my bit there. You'll be pleased. Now, I'm going to hand back over to, uh, to, to Daryl to, to wrap it up. So for, so, for me, a massive thank you for spending uh, over an hour with us. Daryl, I'm going to hand back to the judge if he's not frozen. He doesn't look like he is at the moment to say thank you. And uh, Andrew, for me, many thanks. And
1: uh, we're really grateful for you giving up your time. Darryl. absolute pleasure
3: thanks so much cheers
1: andrew we've done really well actually we've we've starved off emmerdale and we've also gone into the great british bake-off so what more wow. could we do to still have some viewers online so i think we've we've achieved something there it all set when all said and done so thank you for joining us but i have to say to be our first night back to have our first night on the programme. Ah, I see what you've really
3: done are. there. Very good. See, see do I've done this before, haven't
0: you? Thank you for listening to season two, episode one of The Masked Cricketer. Today's show was hosted by the unflappable duo of K Dog and Woodsy. Special thanks go to today's Mask Cricketer, Sir Andrew Strauss. Theme music was Swing House by RKVC, and the show is still thrown together by Daryl Woods and Kieran Bushnell. If you would like to make a donation to the Lord's Taverners charity, please head to justgiving.com forward slash the hyphen mast hyphen cricketer. If you'd like to make a donation to the Ruth Strauss Foundation, go to www.roofstraussfoundation.com If you'd like to guess The Mass Cricketer live, load up youtube.com forward slash The mass Cricketer and hit that subscribe button and bell. Whilst you're on your device, hop on over to Twitter and follow us there on @masscricketer. Mass Cricketer. That's all for now. See you next time.